Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Okay, everybody. Uh, uh, You know, last week I talked to you about the uh, coming of the Lord and being ready. And today I wanted to talk to you about um, some of the things that in more detail that, that are going to need to be required of you and me to be ready and also some of the things that's going to maybe separate us from the Lord or maybe keep us from being ready. So, <clears throat> you know, the Lord's coming back and we talked about that and it's not going to be long one way or the other. It's not going to be long. It's either going to be in our lifetime sometime in the very near f- future or it's going to be at the end of our life, which is not going to be much longer. None of us are going to live very long. Even if we live to be 100, it's not very long in, in the scheme of eternity. So, you know, last week I talked to you about those foolish virgins who didn't keep enough oil in their lamps to endure to the end. And then when the Lord showed up, they weren't really ready. So, uh, you know, I discussed with you in great detail about what it meant to be on the alert, you know, know, because we read where it said be on the alert uh, for you do not know what hour he's coming. And so we talked about that in detail. We also talked about what it was to not be on the alert. In other words, we did the synonyms and the anonyms of, of alert. And, um, and I went on also to remind you that even in the natural realm, that the things we practice, who we are, uh, you know, if you're going to practice being on the alert, you need to not just try to figure it all out just in the spiritual realm at the end of time, but Really, you need to you need to be practicing being on the alert all the time in every kind of way, observing the time, the sign of the times we live in, like we talked about last time, and also um, paying attention to what's going on in our country, uh, paying attention to even in the daily things, um, what's going on with our family, and and then look at the church itself. You know, look at the American church. What's happened to it in the last fifty to seventy five years? And how that the church itself is falling apart. The church has lost all of its moral authority. So, in other words, again, being on the alert is observing what's going on around you. And then, and then too, look at your own life. You know, Paul said in one place in 2 Corinthians, he says, test yourselves to see if you even be in the faith. So, we should be looking at ourselves and we should be thinking about our own life and our own fruit. And we should be examining that. And then, of course, just in the most basic thing, you know, parents watching your kids. Uh, I've seen so many parents that didn't have a clue what their kids were doing. Even when the kids were close by, they didn't even see what they were up to, much less to know what was going on in their hearts later on when they got older. So uh, being aware of everything that's going on around you, both physically and spiritually, is the practice of being on the alert. In other words, that's who you should be at heart, not just something you do from time to time. But it's who you should be. And, and, I, and I want to tell you, too, if you're not on the alert, if you're not on the alert physically or spiritually, then you're really asleep to what's going on and you don't have a clue. I mean, it's like the it's like the husband who came home from work one day and 
His wife was all packed up and gone. Uh, he didn't even know where she was. He didn't even know there was a problem. He wasn't on the alert. And I'm sure there were signs all along the way that something was missing in their marriage, but he didn't have a clue. And so that's somebody who's asleep. And so I'm saying, don't be asleep. And so, you know, the reason is because the Lord said he's coming. He's coming like a thief in the night. He says, you're not going to, he's not going to come when you, when you expect him to, he's going to come when you don't expect him to. And he's going to show up uh, unannounced. And he said, be ready, be dressed in readiness. So today I want to talk to you more today about what it is that we need, what, what needs to be done, what we need to do or what can be done or what should be done about keeping us ready. What is it going to take to keep us ready? Well, I want to tell you that it's really not very complicated. It's, not, it's really pretty simple. Uh, it may not always be that easy, but it is pretty simple. It's actually very simple. Here's the, here's the essence of it. You must have a heart relationship with God. I'm not talking about just a brain relationship where you know about him in your brain, you know, you're reasoning everything out in human reasoning. I'm talking about a heart relationship with God, a relationship where you long to have presence with God. You long for uh, his righteousness to be in you. You long to have fellowship with God. You love his word. You, you desire to know that you're pleasing to God. You know, you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant when, when this life is over with. So it's about having a serious relationship from the heart with God, not just intellectually, but from the heart. And uh, here's what you got to do. You must believe in him. That means you must believe that he's who he says he is, that he, he's able to do what he says he can do, that he is the creator, the mastermind of the universe, that he's God almighty. You must believe in him. And also you must believe him, meaning you must believe what he says. You must believe his word. You must believe his promises. You must believe that he says that he is the author and perfecter of your faith and that he will finish the work in you. But you must cooperate with him. You must submit to him. You must give him your life. So it's not enough just to believe about God, that, he's, that he is in fact God, but you must believe him by doing what he says. So the scripture says to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Well, you don't really believe God if you don't do what he says. You can say you believe God, but if you don't do what he says, you're really not a believer. And so uh, you must obey him then from the heart. You know, you must obey him from the heart, you know, out of a love and appreciation and respect and fear of who he is. It, it, it must be it must be a heart thing, not some law thing like you're going to obey him because he said you must do whatever. You know, he says in one place, if you only do that which you're commanded to do, you're an unworthy servant. But it's when you do from the heart above and beyond and you go it's, it, where you're wholehearted with God. You're passionate about wanting to know him and to please him. That's when you're a doer of the word. And I want to say this too. This, this obedience to God is not something we do just because we're afraid he's going to send us to hell or we're afraid that he's going to judge us or bring some kind of a curse on us that we don't. And yeah, we should fear him and we should recognize that's who he is. And he's, he certainly has the right to do that to us. But what about 
obeying him because we love him. Because after all, there's none like him. He's the almighty God, the creator, the mastermind. And he would even, that he would even take interest in a little bitty creature, a little bitty nothing like me or you. I mean, we're not even like a grasshopper in his sight. And he would actually take notice of us. To love him and to obey him because of who he is, is a privilege. It's not a law thing. It's a privilege thing. And so if we obey him and we give him our heart, we give him our life, we must do this voluntarily. Voluntarily means you're not, you don't, you give your life up to him voluntarily. You know, you're willing to. It's not like he's taking it from you like, well, he's going to take it. You know, I've heard people say, well, if I, if I give my life to God, you know, he's going to take away all my fun and I'm going to have to do this and have to do that. And I'm not going to get to do this. Not going to get to do that. It's not like that. It, you know, that's not giving your life to him. If you don't do it voluntarily, he's not coming along and taking anything from you. He's not going to make you do one thing that you're not willing to do. He said, whosoever will. So let it be a willing thing. So when you come to him, you come to him, if you're going to come to him, if you're going to give yourself to him, again, do it voluntarily. And if you submit your life to him, you voluntarily submit. In fact, submission is always a voluntary thing. You know, there's a lot of misuse of the word submission, even wives and husbands. The wife voluntarily submits to the husband. The husband voluntarily submits to Jesus. Jesus voluntarily submits to the father. It's all done voluntarily. If it's done any other way, it's dictatorship. And that's not the way God operates, and he doesn't expect us to operate that way. So if you don't voluntarily, if you're not really willing to, if you don't really want to give your life to God and trust him, then there's no point in it. There's no point in going to church. There's no point in going to Bible study. There's no point in reading your Bible or praying your prayers or doing whatever. If you haven't voluntarily given up your life to God, then you're not ready to meet him because it's all voluntary. So, but if you do voluntarily give your life up to him, he'll give you a new heart and he'll give, the, give you his spirit and his spirit will empower you with this new heart to give you everything pertaining to life and godliness and everything pertaining to doing what it takes to please him because he's going to give you and grant to you his divine nature. We read that in 2 Peter chapter 1. So if you voluntarily give yourself to him, he will then empower you to do whatever it takes to please him. See, if you're trying to please him without giving him your whole heart, it's just religious rules and it's just begrudgery because you don't really want to, but you're trying to do the right thing. Your heart's not in it, but you know you should. So you're trying to do it because you know you should, but you're not doing it out of love and you're not doing it out of gratitude and you're not doing it out of appreciation and respect and honor for who he really is. So it's either a heart thing or it's a law thing. And those that are under the law are condemned to death. So once you have taken on the Lord, I'm talking about really taking him on. I'm talking about really wholeheartedly turning to Jesus Christ, giving him your life and giving up your life. Once you've done that, then you can overcome anything with the power he's given you and you will have everything you need to be ready to meet him when he comes. It's, it's, it's really, it's like you can't do it without him. And he'll, and he'll, he'll give you everything you need when you do. But if you're trying to get there on your own, you're trying to, in your own strength, to please God, trying to do what's right, trying to obey the Bible, trying to keep a few religious rules. 
It's just, it's, it's just dead works. And it accomplishes nothing. Let me just read a little bit to you from Psalms. Some, just a few quotes from David, King David, uh, when he was acknowledging who God really is. I mean, just listen to these. And these are not verses in order. They're in, out of, all of them are out of Psalms 34, but they're, I just picked out some and I'm going to read them. David said, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Do you have fears? Are you afraid to, of something or are you afraid to deal with something? Are you afraid to confront something? Are you afraid to give up something? I mean, what are your fears? It says, I sought, he said, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. And of course, David had enemies just like we have. We have spiritual enemies. He had physical enemies. He had, he had other, other nations that were trying to kill him. Even sometimes in his own family, his own sons were trying to kill him. And there were those that were trying to rise against him. So David had enemies in, within his country and without of his country. He had people who were really wanting to put him to death. What are your enemies? Maybe it's pride or jealousy, or maybe you are lazy or selfish, whatever, or greedy. You know, what's your enemy? Are you afraid of that enemy? <laughs> You're afraid of disappointing your enemy? He said, I sought the Lord, he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. That's wonderful. Another verse he said, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. What a promise! Who's going to do that for you? Uncle Sam's not going to do that. The almighty dollar's not going to do that. Your career's not going to do that. Who's going to do that? Only the Lord would do that. In another verse, he said, he said, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. How about that? Who's going to rescue us? Who's going to rescue us from hopelessness and from bondage and from anxieties of what's going on in the world. Right now, you know, it's falling apart. There's riots in the street. There's a pandemic, pandemic uh, coronavirus epidemic and blah, blah, blah. And there's Iran and Iraq and North Korea and nuclear weapons and Russia. And there's Congress all split up. And there, you know, our country's falling apart morally and everything. Who's going to rescue us? Who's going to rescue us? But the Lord God Almighty. Why don't we put our trust in him? Why don't we put our hope in him and get our mind off these, all these things that we fear other than him? Let us just fear him and then he will rescue us. Another verse, uh, David said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I wish that everybody would do that. I wish that everybody would really stop and think about this. Soak this in. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, he says. Wow. If we could only see how good he is. There's nothing on this earth or in this life that even compares with him. Why hold on to anything of this life, anything of this world? Why hold on to it compared to having him? Another verse, David says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, for those who fear him, there is no want. In other words, they're not wanting for anything. There's nothing they want. They've got everything. Oh, they may not have everything in the earthly sense. They may not have 
every kind of desire and every kind of, of uh, material thing. It doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter. They're content with, with their station in life. It doesn't matter if their health is perfect or everything is worked out with their family. It doesn't really matter because they have him. And you see, <laughs> oh, taste to see that the Lord is good. How blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. There's no need. They have, they have him. He, said, he goes on to say that young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Now, there's a difference between things and good things. I'm talking about, and he's talking about good things. Good things are hope and peace and love and joy and the fruit of the Spirit and hope in God and salvation and eternal life. There is nothing better than these things. There's nothing the earth has that's better than these things. You can have, you can have a billion dollars in the bank and not have these things. You can't buy these things. He goes on in another verse to say, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. In other words, don't be a liar. Don't be a pretender. Don't be a hypocrite. Just be honest. Be true. Be genuine. He goes on to say, uh, depart from evil and do good. I mean, isn't that really the gospel? Depart from evil, do good, and God accepts you. You know, we're, 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 we keep talking about in American Christianity about us accepting Christ. You know, like, well, just accept Christ. Well, hey, that's fine in a way, but what about the other part of it? What about him accepting us? You see, if we're not acceptable to him, you can accept him all you want. And it doesn't have any effect on your life because you're still going to hell. You've got to be accepted by him. So <clears throat> depart from evil and do good. That's how we're acceptable to him. Seek peace and pursue it. Another verse in verse 15, he says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. What would we do? I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do if I couldn't cry out to God. If, if, if in distress or concern or anxiety or trouble or need or pain or suffering or, or tribulation or persecution, what could I do? What would I do if I couldn't cry out to God? Who am I going to cry out to? Who has the power? Who has all authority but God? So, I'm glad to know that his eyes are towards those that belong to him, towards the righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. And it says the, right, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. It doesn't mean he takes away all the pain necessarily. It doesn't mean he takes away all the circumstances that are uncomfortable. But the way he delivers us out of all of our troubles is he reminds us of our purpose here. He reminds us of the work he's done in our lives and how he's conforming us into the image of Christ. And there will be sufferings and there will be troubles and there will be tribulations, but it's all, all is well with him. That's part of the process. And when we, when we come back, then we can be thankful in all things. And so he delivers us out of all of our troubles. We're delivered from all of our troubles. Another place it says in verse 18, he says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. You know, 
and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Wow. What a blessing to be brought to a place where you are really broken over your life, your failures, your sins, your misdeeds, and to be crushed in spirit and to have no hope apart from the Lord himself to go to him broken and to have him to have mercy. Oh, what a wonderful thing. The Lord is very near that person and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He goes on in verse 19 to say, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Aren't these such wonderful and magnificent and hopeful promises that we have in the Lord? You see, he is good. Oh, taste the Lord and see that he's good. Why would we not serve the Lord with a whole heart? Why would we even hesitate between two opinions, the opinions of the world and our selfishness and the opinion of what it is to be in Christ? Why would we hesitate? Do you get, are you getting kind of the picture here of what we're, we're saying? This is what the move that moves us towards being ready for his coming. In 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says this, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Now, the key here is completely his. Not 80%, 50%, 75%, or even 95% but whose heart is completely his. This is the key. If you have given yourself to him completely, then you'll have no problem in being ready uh, when he comes. And while you're waiting for him to come, you will be strongly supported by him because he strongly supports those who are completely his. Completely his. See, that's a key. A lot of people are trying to have it kind of both ways. They're trying to kind of have their own life and their own desires and some of this world and have heaven and having Jesus and having eternal life at the same time. And they're not completely out of the world and they're not completely his yet. And so they're, they're, they're divided. And it says a double-minded man receives nothing from God. So... If you've been, but if you've been struggling for a long time with the same old sins, and you've, then I, then I have to, then I have to ask you this question: Are you really completely His? Because we just saw where He strongly supports those that are completely His. He, you know, He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's He's doing a good work that He will finish. You know, He will give us all the power to overcome. He'll share His divine nature with us. He will give us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He will give us a new heart and spirit to lead and guide us and convict us of sin. So are we Are we really, that is, if we're completely his? All those things are conditional if we're completely his. So it means to be, if, if, to be completely his means that there's not some part of your life that you're still holding on to. Some part of your old life, your sinful ways, your selfish ways, your carnal nature, your your friends or family, your idols, your your old desires, your your love of this or your love of that. There's something you may be hanging on to. Maybe that's the reason you've been struggling for so long and never overcome. 
And I want to tell you a personal story about myself. You see, in the beginning of my walk, I was a brand new Christian, and uh, and this was forty years ago, roughly. And um, I didn't have, I hadn't had any teaching. I had had no mentoring. I didn't know what the Bible said about anything, really. And, but I did know when I came to the Lord, I knew one thing. I had to, I had to turn away from my sinful, my 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 worldly ways that I was aware of with every, everything that was within me. I gave all that up. But there was so much I didn't know, you know yet that the Lord had to teach me. And so this thing about being completely his, uh, here's how it came to me. I remember one time in the very beginning of my walk that I, and in those days I, I wasn't much of a, I wasn't a good businessman. I was certainly a, a good technician and I did honorable work, but I didn't keep up with my, my finances very well. I didn't keep my, all my taxes paid on time and I, and I was so focused on working that I wasn't really focused on running a business. I, I went into business about 45 years ago. And so I was about five years into business when I turned to the Lord. And what happened was I didn't know what I was doing business-wise. And I got into myself into a really financial problem. And so when I turned to the Lord then, for the first time in my life, I had God to call on for help. And so I was praying. I remember just praying my heart out one time. Lord, help me. I don't know what to do. I was in trouble with the IRS. I had bills I couldn't pay. I was short at the bank. I had notes coming up to pay. I was just in a mess. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to manage money. And I didn't know what to do with my business. Except I knew how to fix cars. That's what I did. I could fix cars. I could build transmissions. I did all that very well. But I just couldn't handle the business side of it. And so as I was praying, I kept saying, <laughs> I heard myself, I heard myself kept saying, Lord, help me with my business. You know, I, I need some help with my business. Lord, what can I do with my business? Lord, what will you do for me in my business? You see, it always been my business. I'd always been in control of my business. I, I wasn't going to let anybody else control my business. <laughs> I'd always been in the driver's seat with my business, my business. I'd always done what I thought was best in my business. So, and since, and since I'd done such a great job of messing up my business, there was no way in my mind I was going to let God or anybody else take charge of my business. I didn't think, I didn't, you know, I just didn't think about that. And so I heard myself praying with these my business, I me, my business kind of stuff. So then it, then it came to me that that was part of the problem. You see that it was my business and it wasn't the Lord's business. And so there for a minute, I kind of hesitated. I thought, you know, it's hard for me to give up control of my of total control of my business over to God. After all, you know, he might make me want he might want to make me have to have some self-control in my spending habits or. He might want to make, he might want me to uh, discipline myself <laughs> or he might want me to learn how to, to do bookkeeping or keep up with things better. Or he might, all these things were hard things for me. I didn't want to do any of these things. Or he might make me, uh, <laughs> he might want to make me uh, do some really hard stuff to overcome. And see, that, that, that wasn't a pleasant thought to me at the time. I was thinking, you know, if I allow God to be the general manager of my business, he's going to make me shape up. And so I wasn't, I wasn't really excited about that. 
But as I prayed and thought about it, I did hesitate for just a couple of moments there, thinking this, considering allowing God to have his way in my life, in my business, and allowing the business to be his business, and let me just be a steward of it and do whatever he told me. And so I did do that. I made that choice. And then when I realized that it was not it was not my business any longer, but it was his, then it was also true for my marriage. Then it was his the marriage was his. Then our children weren't our children. They were his children. It's, it's sort of like everything kind of came together then after that. I started realizing that it's all his. Everything belongs to him, including my life and my heart and all that I have. And so that's what covenant is. When you go into covenant, the covenant partner now becomes owner with you and everything. You know, everything is theirs. And so I, I gave my life up, really gave it up in a, in a far more a thorough way that day than I had originally when I prayed and asked God to forgive me of my immorality and my other sins and to give me a fresh start. And so I, I did learn some things and, and, and they, I had to go through some very painful things. I had to face the IRS. I had to work things out with them. I had to learn eventually. I had to learn how to, to do QuickBooks and I had to learn how to manage my bank accounts. I had to learn how to get on a budget. I had to learn how to stay within my, in other words, spend within my income. Then I had to also go to business schools and business training and learn how to market my business and how to price my work and not do it too cheap, but to make it profitable. And I, I had learned how to properly pay my employees and, and to figure out ways to make the whole business work. And so I went from being a, a really a, a failure in business 45 years ago to by the time I sold the business uh, about five years ago, that the business was very successful and it's given us a good retirement. So what I'm saying is if I hadn't done it the Lord's way, even with all the pain and suffering, it would have been, it never would have been much of a deal. It would have been a bad deal all the way around. So you see, what is it, you know, is there anything in your life that you've not relinquished total control of? Is there anything you're holding on to? Have you got one hand on the steering wheel and God's trying to drive and you won't let him because you're trying to steer things? Which way is it here? I mean, is there is there anything that you haven't given up in your life? You know, what about your marriage? You know, you, you're still trying to control your spouse. Are you are you are you still uh, you still trying to manipulate your family to be what you think they ought to be? Or what about your finances? Are you, you still, are you, are you mismanaging your finances in some way? Are you, are you spending money foolishly? Are you spending it on the wrong things? Are you contributing to, to the work of God and to help poor people? Or is it just blowing it all on yourself? See, these are things that you have to think about. What will the Lord have you to do with your finances? Or what, or, or what about your entertainments in life? What about, you know, what about uh, have, have you got anything there that, you know, that you, 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 that you haven't let the Lord have control of, you know, like guide you. Don't watch this or don't play that or whatever. Uh, what about your time? Have you, you know, do you waste time? Do you squander time or do you use the time like the Lord would have you to use it? Because, you know, all we have is the time that he's given us in this life to do whatever we're supposed to do. And that time is flying. It's flying. Time flies and it's going away quickly. Our life will be over soon. And then what are we going to do? Are we going to have regrets about our time, how we spend it? And what about, 
What about your business? If you have a business or you have a job, have you given that over to the Lord? Do you grumble about your job or are you, are you thankful to have a job? Do you, do you look for hopefully for perfection at work or do you just accept that, that a job is a job and you're going to do the best you can, but you can't fix everything? And so what about your fears? Are you allowing God to have, have his way concerning your fears? You're afraid to talk to certain people. You're afraid to confront. You're afraid to ask questions. You're afraid to deal with things. You know, have you given God his way here? See, these are things to think about. What about your favorite sin? Have you thought about giving that over to God and say, look, Lord, I know I shouldn't do this. Help me, oh God. I mean, like we just read, you know, the righteous cries out to the Lord and he delivers, delivers them from all their troubles. Have you have you looked for him to deliver you from your sin or or is it you've been your pleasure to continue with it? See, these are the questions I'm saying. What is there anything in your life that you haven't relinquished control of to the Lord? And, you know, then you've got people oftentimes have idols, sometimes their family, their kids or other things or material things are idols or maybe they have anger issues or they maybe have issues, with a lot of personal pride or they're just stubborn of heart and don't want to give in. And so, you know, or or is it just that you just you just don't want to give up having your own way about things? You know, some people just want their own way. They want to control everything and have their own way. That is. And they don't want God or anybody else messing with that. So I'm just asking you, is there anything that you have been unwilling to completely relinquish control of over to the Lord so that you might be ready for his coming. So, so we've gotten this picture now what it takes to be ready. It is to be completely, uh, to be completely his in every area of our life. And, and see, here's the thing. As long as we're trying to save our life or save part of our life by keeping some things the way we want, in other words, our own way, keeping some things to satisfy our own way, then we're going to lose our life. And Jesus made that really clear. But if you voluntarily, and again, it's not according to by compulsion or under the law or rules or whatever, but if you voluntarily say, okay, I, I yield. Lord, this is your, like I said, this is your business. Okay, I'll do it your way. You show me what to do and I'll do it. Oh boy, I have to balance my checkbook. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. So anyway, but if you voluntarily give up your life, that is, of having things just your way or controlling things to suit yourself, then you're going to find your life. And I'll tell you what, the life you find will be far better than the one you gave up. And that's, see, that's where Satan really fools a lot of people. They think, oh, it's going to be so miserable. If I serve God with a whole heart, if I give up my life, I'm going to lose all my pleasures. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. And I'm going to be miserable. No, you won't. You'll be so blessed. You'll be so Oh, unbelievably thrilled at what God has done in your life. This has been so true for me and Rita. We came from nothing. We, came we had from... no training, no upbringing, really. We came from miserable circumstances. Both of us did. Not to mention in poverty. So here I am now coming to the Lord when I'm 32 years old, which is 40 years plus ago. I'm 72 now. <laughs> and I had a business that was in scrambles. I had already lost one wife to due to divorce and was fixing to leave, lose Rita to, due to another divorce because of my, of my unfaithfulness to her. I had to completely give my life up, really, for it to all turn around. 
In the business, as I already told you, I had to give up my business to the Lord. And over years and through discipline and through training and through education and through suffering and through trials and through pain and through recessions and through all kinds of things that taught me and conformed me into the image of Christ, teaching me how to manage and discipline myself and how to weather the storms. He transformed my business from a failure into prosperity and success. And in our marriage, Rita and I both had together to give up our own way. I wanted my way. She wanted her way. We had conflict. Even after we turned to the Lord, we had conflict for several years because we didn't know any better. The church didn't teach us anything about marriage. It didn't teach us anything about giving up our life. I wanted to be the boss. She wanted to rebel and she wanted to have her own way. I wanted my way. She wanted her way. And so we had this conflict. But eventually... We both came to conclude through our own study of God's word and through, uh, you know, through the, 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 the spirit leading us and training us through different ways that we both had to start thinking of the other person. In other words, it was my responsibility to love her and to consider her feelings and her needs. And it was her responsibility to love and respect me. And so we began to move in that direction way back in the 80s. And, and as we did, we began to realize that this is a major problem, not only with was, was with us, but it is with most marriages. In fact, everybody we knew that was married was having trouble. And so we began to teach people how to, you know, their roles and how to function together, how to lay down their life, how to love each other, how to come, come to a place of peace in their marriage. And so by going the Lord's way in our marriage, what's happened is we went from having strife and conflict and, and a lot of times misery to this day we have the most indescribable, happy, wonderful marriage. I mean, it's like we love each other so much. We we adore each other. We, we enjoy it, the, the time together to sit on the porch and talk, to lie in bed at night and hold hands and to, and to discuss things together, to, to just be friends and to laugh together and our love is is a gift from God. It's, it's nothing I can even describe to you. I can't even put it into words. Yesterday was our 44th wedding anniversary, and we were just talking. I couldn't even, I, I didn't write her a card. I didn't give her a card. I, I sat with her at J. Alexander's and told her from the heart how I felt about her. There's no words to describe what God has done in our marriage. By doing it his way rather than our way. See, when you give up doing things your way and allow the Lord to have his way, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's beyond anything you can imagine. It's true in every aspect of your life, whether it's your finances, your marriage, whether it, it's, it's your family, whether it's, you know, how it's every aspect of your life. And of course, your soul, your soul prospers. You grow in the grace and knowledge of God. As you apply these things that God is teaching, give up your life. You become more and more aware of the spiritual realities that the Holy Spirit shows you, bringing you into more discernment and more peace and more understanding of the big picture of how God is working in the earth and how he's working in his people and how this world is just passing away and we're just aliens and strangers passing through. You come to understand those things so much better when you give up your life. And you know, it's not really like you just have to give up your life. 
You know, you don't just have to. It's not like God is coming along and demanding that you give up your life. Again, it goes back to this this thing about it's a voluntary thing. You know, it's whoever will. And the reward for giving up your life is far greater than anything you ever give up in this life. When you when you find uh, when you find true life in Him, it is is beyond explanation. It doesn't even make sense. It's not even logical, but it's still true. So today I've told you kind of what it takes to be ready. That is to be wholehearted with God, you know, to be completely His, to believe Him that He is, and to believe what He says, and to do it. But I also want to warn you today of some of the things that will keep you from being ready because you know it's one thing to know to be ready it's another thing to know and to be careful about the things that can cause you to fall away things that take you away from having enough oil in your lamp to endure to the very end so that door doesn't get shut on you and you get closed out and the parable of the sword and seed pretty much sums all this up so i'm going to i'm going to cover Uh, that in Mark 4 with you today. In verse 3, Jesus said this. He says, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because he had no depth of soil. But after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now I hope you have ears to hear, because this is so important. This parable is key to understanding everything about the kingdom of God. So in verse 13, after his disciples came and said, look, what are you talking about here? Can you explain all this to us and so forth? They came to him, and so his answer to them was this. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? And so he goes. now he's going to break it down and explain to him. He said, the sower sows the word. And he said, in other words, the word is the word of God. The sower sows the word. The word is the word of God is what he's saying. He said, these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which was sown in them. Okay, now what he's saying is, if anybody is not on the path of life, on the road that leads to heaven, but they're beside the road, they're off the road, (laughs) then the word they hear is immediately taken away from them and it has no effect on them at all. It doesn't, you know, it's just like somebody going in and hearing a a really powerful message of God by someone who's preaching the word and they go right out the door. Nothing changes in their life. And that happens every day in the church world. Of course, you don't have many messages from God anymore in the church world. But the people are like that. The people, if they do hear a message from God, it doesn't change anything. They just go on the way they were before. So it has no effect on them. They're beside the road. Now, in verse 16... Jesus goes on to explain the second uh, category. He said, In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, 
and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary, then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. So it says because of the word. In other words, you know, affliction is anything that's hard or uncomfortable. You know, when somebody starts challenging you or your family starts making fun of you or the religious uh, crowd begins to, to mock you and say, well, you don't really have to be that serious about it or whatever. So affliction is anything that may, that's hard or uncomfortable. It, be, it could be coming because you you were trying to do what's right in the Lord or it just be or it could just be you facing a fear. You know, affliction and persecution could be just you facing your fear. You're afraid to say anything to a certain person. And, and you know, and now that now that you, this situation arises, you just kind of back off. You kind of fall away from what you heard because the Lord said, speak up and you wouldn't do it. Uh, you know, or it could come from having to deny yourself. You know, here you are, you know, you're 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 falling into this temptation of sin that you have so many times before. But here comes affliction. Affliction is going to be if you have to deny yourself that sin. But because of the affliction, because it's hard, you just give in to it. Or it could be uh, uh, anything. It could be uh, affliction could be engaging with your spouse. You know, I talk to men about this all the time. What about you husbands? Do you talk to your wives? Do you ask them questions? Do you share with them? Do you wash them in the word? You know, it might be that it's so hard for you. It might be such an affliction for you that even though you've heard the word that you should, you just fall away because you don't have any firm root in yourselves and you just it's just too difficult. You're just not going to go through the pain and suffering. Same thing with leading your family, men. Same old thing. You know, you know you're supposed to. You make a stab at it every once in a while, but it's really not in your heart because you're beside the road or because you don't have any firm root in yourself. And so when a situation comes up where you should, you just kind of back off. You fall away from it or just any kind of responsibility that you neglect. Or it, it may be, you know, it says confess your sins that you may be healed. Well, maybe it's just too hard for you to confess your sins. You know, you got too much pride. And, you know, that, that affliction, that, that pain and that affliction that you consider by confessing your sin is just too much. So you fall away from the word of God. Don't keep it. Or just anything that's requiring you to do what's right when there's pain involved. See, that's someone who has no, that's someone who has no firm root themselves. They're not committed. That They're not committed. They maybe had good intentions sort of along the way, but they were always willing to do the easy parts. If it was easy, okay, I'll do it, but not committed enough to God to do whatever it takes, including the hard parts. Because see, walking with God, there is a cross. There is some pain and suffering in doing what's right. It's not always easy, but it's always the right thing to do. And it's always doable. So having no root means you have no commitment. So in verse 18, Mark 4, 18, Jesus goes on to say, he says, and others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who've heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, choke it out. And it, the word, becomes unfruitful. Now, to me, here's the saddest of all of all these hearts that we've looked at so far. These actually heard the word. They actually received the word. And they began to grow in the truth and knowledge of God. But here's the problem. Here's what I really want you to watch out for today. These were distracted by three things. They were distracted by the worries of the world, by the desires for other things, and the deceitfulness of riches. 
So what happened is on the, the, the worries of the world, here's what happened. They were worried about, say, their health, you know, they're worried about their job, or they're worried about their business, or they're worried about their future, or they're worried about their family, or they're worried about their kids, or they're worried about the what ifs, what if this and what if that, you know. They're worried about anything in this life that could that they could worry about that would distract them from focusing on the things above. Because the things above is the hope that we have in God. No matter what happens, if you live, you live. If you die, you die. But if you're with God, you're still with God. You're with God either way. And you haven't lost anything. You know, you're just, you're just being transformed from this earthly life into this eternal life. So, you know, but the worries of the world, if you're not careful, will bog you down and you get your mind off things above, get your mind on things of the world, and you'll miss the kingdom. That's what's so bad. In other words, in other words, the worries of the world would choke out the fruit that you were going to bear. Then there's those, those desires for other things. And sometimes those other things could be anything. It could be sometimes it could be wanting to have a better relationship with your family or be more acceptable in the neighborhood or have a better home or, or, or you know, uh, it could be like desiring pleasures of this world, like vacations and trips and wanting to see America or wanting to see the world or whatever people want to do. You know, just desires for other things and spend all kinds of time and money, you know, desires for this and desires for that. Or it could be the desire to be entertained. Like we have so much of that today, entertained by the movie industry or the music industry, uh, the, the television world, sports and video games and all these things. Those things can distract us and take us away from being sober minded, take us away from having a sense of urgency about the things of the kingdom of God and eternal life and get us get us to where we bear no fruit. You know, those are things that are very dangerous. Or it could be any desire, you know, the, the desire for other things could be any kind of a desire about anything that will take us away from bearing fruit. Okay. And then there are those deceitfulness of riches. You know, it says deceitfulness. See, it's a lie. It's a lie to say that the riches are what's going to deliver you. The riches are what's going to make you happy. The riches are what's going to protect you and give you security. Those are all lies. They're deceitful. The deceitfulness of riches is full of lies. You see, it kind of goes like this. If only I could make more money, we'd be okay. Or money in the bank will protect us, you know, or... We could be content with what we have, but more is always better. But, you know, but why be content if you can have more, right? Or money's what makes the world go round, you know, people say. And, uh, but the truth is, when anyone loves money more than God, they will compromise. Listen to me. If your heart goes after money, you will compromise on the values and the principles of God. You make compromises in order to earn the money. You'll compromise in your business. You'll compromise with quality. You'll compromise with the truth. You'll compromise any way you have to to make a buck. And that's very evil. That's called greed. That's where the love of money comes in at. So when anyone loves money more than God, they're going to compromise. They always do. They always do when they love money more than God. And as a result, they'll not be able to bear the fruit of God. Just won't be able to do it. You can't do both. 
So concerning money, there was another statement that Paul made in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that I want to read to you about those that love money. But to those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, all kinds of evils tied with the love of money. And some, by longing for it, that is the money, have wandered away from the faith. There we go. These are the ones like we just read about, you know, how it choked out the word. They wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He said, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Pursue these things, not money. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So in other words, don't let them, don't get your eye on the money. Get your eye on the things of God, the ways of God, the fruit of God, the things of the kingdom. So here we are now. All, all of these three things, the worries of the world, the desires for other, other things, and the deceitfulness of riches, they will distract and choke any life out of you that the word may have brought to you, even though you were growing and even though you were beginning to sprout out to where you could bear fruit at some point, they were, that you were, you were growing to the place where you were going to be able to bear fruit. But here we go. If you don't watch it, these things will come in and they will ruin your crop. So, then there's a fourth category. In verse 20, Jesus said, and those are the ones, talking about the ones who bore the fruit, and those are the ones whom the seed was sown on the good soil. And they, they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now these are the ones, you got to realize, these are the ones who hear the word who accept the word in their hearts, not just a brain thing, but it goes down deep. It goes into their hearts. They grab a hold of this. They're convicted by it. Their, 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 uh, their heart is, is going after it. They're, they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and to please God. And so it goes into their heart. They accept it in their heart, not just their brains. And in doing so, they believe it. They believe the word of God and they obey the word of God. And they practice what the word of God says. Those that are righteous practice righteousness. And then they bear fruit and they bear the fruit over and over and over. And the fruit gets better and better year after year, 30, 60 and 100 fold. That's what happens to those that hear the word, accept it and obey it. Now, let me just tell you something here. <clears throat> this is always a choice. You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not that guy. I'm just not that that fourth uh, heart. You know, I just, I just, I, I still, I'm, I'm kind of like uh, heart number two with hardness of heart or the heart rocky soil or whatever. Or sometimes I'm like uh, heart number three 
that I get all caught up in the worries of the world, desires of riches and other things, you know. Uh, but, you know, I just, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not, I guess I'm just not lucky or something. It's not about luck. It's your choice. God gave us all the choice. I can choose which heart I'm going to be. You can choose which heart you're going to be. There's no excuse not to be the one that hears the word, accepts it. It's your choice to believe God. It's your choice to believe in God. It's your choice to trust in God. It's your choice. It's always your choice. It's your choice to take up your cross. It's your choice to deny yourself of sin. It's your choice to bear fruit. It's always your choice. There's no excuses. There's nobody going to be coming up in judgment day and saying, Lord, I'm just one of those unlucky ones. He's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. You who practice lawlessness. You who wouldn't obey me. You who wouldn't believe me. So we're talking today about being ready, right? We're talking about what it takes to be ready. And we're talking about what it takes to keep you from being ready. So... To be ready, let me just remind you, to be ready, you must have an intimate, passionate, devoted, sincere, and wholehearted relationship with God. It must be real. It must be from the heart. And if it's not in your heart, go to God and ask Him to help you have it in your heart. Beg of God not to leave you like that. If it's just a brain thing and your heart's cold, ask God to inflame your heart. Ask Him to open up your heart. Ask Him to change your heart. If you ask anything according to His will and you seek Him, He said He'll let you find Him. He said, ask and you will receive. Knock and it'll be open to you. So cry out to God. Don't, Don't just keep on going around this same old mountain. Let's be ready. Let's all be ready. I love every one of you, and I want you to be ready. To be ready, you must be completely His. We covered that. Completely His. Is there any part of your life that you're holding on to? Is there any part of your life that you're keeping God out of? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Is it anything? Is there some part of your life that you're keeping for yourself that you know is wrong? You must be completely His. And that means giving up every part of your life to his oversight and his control to do his will and not just your will. And if you and to remember, too, as I just pointed out to you, if you do give him up your whole life, if you do, do give up your whole life to him, be aware of the dangers. Be aware of the schemes of the devil, how he is roaring about like a roaming lion seeking he's he's roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can destroy he's seeking the believer he can destroy he already has all the others he's seeking for you and I to find something in our life a weakness in our in our armor a weakness in our soul whether it's desires for other things or deceitfulness of riches or something in our life that he can that he can hone in on to tempt us and cause us to fall away or cause us to never come to fruit, to bear fruit, to distract us away from our purpose. And he uses these things I already mentioned, the worries of the world, the desires for other things, and the deceitfulness of riches. Those are the three main things. John said, do not love the world nor the things of the world. For if if you have the love of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Satan uses the things of the world to try to draw us away. I hope this is encouraging to you today. I hope it's sobering. It's just sort of um, part two of, 
of last week, so to speak, of being prepared to meet the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. Are you ready? I hope all of you may be found on the alert and ready when the Lord comes. May God bless you in your effort. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmiss.org for more information, for my blog, and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.